I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine, I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Words popularized many years ago by the contemporary religious group entitled Mercy Me, written by a member of the group as he contemplated the death of his own father. Just what makes heaven so wonderful? Earlier we talked about its bliss and its beauty. We contemplated the joy of living where there is no death, but, but wait a minute. We have all had to stand beside the walls of the silent city. And readjust to investing ourselves in life again. We contemplated the idea of there being no grief whatsoever. But we've all stood beside hospital beds and held hands with those whose lives had just been shattered as our hearts along with theirs were broken by the last breath of someone close. And we've learned to live on. We contemplated the idea of a place where there is absolutely no crying and no agony through which to work. But we've all wept crocodile tears until we're beyond the ability to weep and then we just like dry heaves try to weep more without the tears. And we've all learned, learned the labor pains of just having to get up in the morning and try to find the energy to put one foot in front of the other. And we did. And so when we contemplate the bliss of heaven, indeed it is something that encourages, motivates us to want to go. But is that really, really what makes heaven so wonderful? We thought about its beauty and indeed the massive nature of this grandiose place that is so wonderful and so marvelous, it alone warrants the title City of God. 
tabernacle of God, paradise of God, house of God. You can't say that about any place we've known or been. We saw the beauty of it set before us in unparalleled word pictures. But we've toured palaces. We've walked through gardens. We've smelled the roses of life. Is that really? Is that beauty really what makes heaven so wonderful? Brother Dan, I want to go there because all of the loved ones of my life and days gone by that invested in my Christianity, my, my, my Christian friends and my Christian family, they are there, yes, but you've learned to live without them. Is their presence really what makes heaven so wonderful? What is it that makes heaven so wonderful? Turn with me again to Revelation 21 just to introduce our thoughts and we're going to shift over to another chapter in this great book of the New Testament. If you're not careful, you will just read right over these words in the first four verses because as you read through Revelation 21, if you're like me, what happens is you begin to camp on certain sections of thought. And as we already have referenced, I began to think about this contemplate this idea of uh, the bliss of no sadness and no shrine and, and uh, uh, no sun and no sin and wow, what a place I want to go. And right here in the heart of the chapter, I see this beautiful city and, and how American Standard Version, it had and it had and it had, it had three things. It had a great wall and it had a gate, and it had the glory of God. And you watch those three possessions or those three observations fleshed out in beautiful, picturesque manner. And so when I read Revelation 21, my mind goes to that bliss and my mind goes to that beauty. And if you're like me, you'll just give a cursory glance to what really makes heaven so wonderful. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with God, is with man. He will dwell with them, with them, he with them, and they will be his people, and God Himself will be with him, them. God Himself will be with them as their God. Why is heaven so wonderful? But I can tell you why I want to go. And it's not because it was a place with no death, 
and no sorrow and no crying and no pain. Not because it has glory or has a gate or has a great jewel bedecked foundation of a wall. I want to go there for one, one reason. I want to go and be with my God. And I want to stand in the very presence of my Savior Jesus. And I want to bask in the glory and the peace of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes heaven so wonderful. And it's to that final thought that we want to give our attention for the next few minutes in another section of the book Revelation. So if you'll walk backwards with me a minute to Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, I want us to just begin with verse 1. And if you like to mark in your Bibles, as do I, you might want to underline, circle, mark somehow the word God or the word Lamb as we read, beginning with verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, the brand of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. Symbolic terminology of God's involvement in the geopolitical horizon of that day and how that Rome was going to know the vengeance of God, but not until... God's people could be protected, saying, verse 3, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sphragizo, until we have marked, until we have branded the servants of our God on their foreheads. Sphragizo. I read about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, being sphragizo, sealed, branded, marked with the Holy Spirit, and therefore I know that I am a son of God and an heir of God as we take that same thought back to Romans chapter 8. Well, here, the people of God are being sargizo. They're being tagged. They're being branded on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, those that have been branded, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of, of Israel, a figurative number as we will find a bit later. There were 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were Sphargizo sealed branded. After this, after the branding, I looked and behold a great multitude and no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne of 
and worship God, saying amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. At least in the English Standard Version, in my count, I would mark the word God or the word Lamb no less than six times. And as I place that thought back into these first 12 verses, and in particular, verses 9 through 12, I find the first of two thoughts to keep in mind to help answer our question, why or what makes heaven so wonderful? From this context, I learned that heaven will be wonderful because it's a place where God will be front, stage, and center. He will be the center of our attention. God the Father is referenced here, and God the Son is referenced here as the ones who will be the center of our attention. As we look to verses 9 through 12 specifically, there are three words I would like for us to contemplate. The word location, the word celebration, and the word adoration, all to emphasize this idea of when we get there, God the Father, Jesus the Lamb, will be the focal point of all of our attention. That street of gold, if indeed it is there literally, wow! Transparent glass as it appears. Jewel-bedecked foundations never undermined by termites. Wow! A gate of solid pearl that swings outward ever, never closed and locked tight with a Stanley bolt. But no! Forget about the street of gold. I see all those beautiful gems in the foundation of the Great Wall, 75 yards tall. Forget about them. Look at that gate. Isn't that not amazing? It beats the Corinthian brass of the gate called beautiful in the, first, in the temple of Herod. Right? Right. But forget about it. All eyes will be front stage and center on two per this context. Regardless of what heaven looks like. Regardless of what heaven feels like. Heaven will be heaven. Because I get to be with God. And with Jesus. And He will be the center of my, of our attention. Look at that word, location. We begin again with verse 9. After this I looked. Now watch the verse begin to unfold. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. This is the largest number that is mentioned in the entire book of Revelation. I can go back to Revelation chapter 5 and I can read of myriads on, on myriads, I come up with the number of 100 million. 
And in addition to the 100 million, there's 10,000 and then 10,000 and thousands and thousands more in Revelation chapter 5. I come to Revelation chapter 9 and I read about 200 million. Wow! I come to Revelation chapter 20 and I read about a number that is so large, it's like the sand of the sea. But this is the number that's the largest. It's a number that no one could count. And it tells me that the 144,000 that I read of back in verse 4 is a figurative number. Yes, I can take the 12,000 times the tribes that are mentioned. I can come up with 144,000. But again, symbolically speaking, figuratively speaking, a large number from all of these variant tribes, a great multitude that no one could number. I keep reading. From every ethnos, nation, ethnos, ethnicity, race, all different races. From all tribes. Yes, the tribes that are mentioned back in verses 8 through 8, not a literal reference to the nation of Israel. Because when you go back and study the tribes that are mentioned there, first of all, you're going to see a reference to ten tribes, and ten of them hadn't even existed for 800 plus years. Second, you will not read about the tribe of Dan. Third, you will read about the tribe of Joseph, and there wasn't such a one. This is all figurative language saying, from all sorts of backgrounds, people of variant races are there. And they make up this number that nobody can count. From all tribes and peoples, plural. That means variant genders. Male and female. And languages, or some translations may say tongues. I remember the word language translating dialectos in Acts chapter 2. Differing dialects, differing speeches, differing tongues. It doesn't make any difference what language you speak. It doesn't make any difference where you are as a gender, in your gender, male or female. The Lord knows who you are. You can be confused about it. And you can get off on this idea of what pronoun this and that. But the Lord knows He made you a man. You're a man. The Lord knows He made you a woman. You're a woman. You can call yourself whatever you want per society. But God knows you're a man or a woman. And all men and all women, it's not just men, it's not just women, it's men and women, peoples. And all peoples from differing backgrounds, the rich, the poor, the educated, the illiterate, all tribes, backgrounds, and all nations. Yes, the black men and women will be there. Yes, the Hispanic men and women will be there. Yes, the Caucasian men and women will be there. Well, who's going to be the most important to God? Not a single one of them. Any more than any of them are more important to God today. Amen? Boy, we need a lesson like that to get deep, deep, deep into the core of our being and start treating each other the way God treats us and sees us. All differing nations, ethnic groups, races, all differing backgrounds, all differing genders, regardless of the language that is spoken. And what are they doing? Here's the location. They are standing. 
And the word standing there translates a verb that means past tense with continued results. They've been standing. They didn't just come together in this particular passage. Hey, you want to go? Hey, you want to meet? Hey, let's gather together at. They have been standing. And the consequence of the verb is they're still there. It's like they got there and nobody wants to go. Why would you? God is there. Why do I want to go anywhere? My Savior Jesus is there. They're standing, and they've been standing, and they continue standing. And they're standing, look at the location, before the throne, and before the Lamb. Before doesn't translate a word that means in front of. It translates a word that carries the the idea of standing before the gaze of. Or we could be quite literal, a word that means to stand in front of the face. What would that be like? When my eyes finally lock onto the eyes of my God. What will he look like when my eyes finally lock onto the eyes of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? They're standing where they've been standing in front of the face of God and in front of the face of Jesus the Lamb. They're further described by saying that they are clothed. They have been and remain in the consequences of being clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, I read about individuals back in Revelation chapter 5. We'll get there in a minute. And they have crowns on their head. But these individuals in white robes have palm branches in their hands, reminding me of that triumphant entry, you know, when palm branches were placed in front of Jesus so that the beast of burden that he was riding on could walk on the palm branches. As individuals say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Literally, oh, he who saves, he who saves, he who saves. And so here is this massive group of people. Nobody could number from all sorts of races, all sorts of backgrounds, variant genders, all differing languages. And they're standing where they've been standing in front of the face of God, in front of the face of Jesus And in their hands, they have something symbolic of a time when individuals referred to Jesus as, Oh, He who saves. Keep that in mind as we keep reading the context. They are in the presence of God. He is front, stage, and center. The next word that we see as we keep reading this is the word celebration. They're not just there looking at God experiencing the presence of God. They're celebrating God. Verse 10, And 
crying out. Crying out, it's that same word that we learned from about easy, uh, earlier of this, the sound of a crow cawing amidst the treetops early in the morning. Crying out, you can hear them. They weren't mumbling. They weren't talking under their breath. They weren't ashamed of how they sounded, so they didn't want anybody else to hear them saying, they're crying out. They're crying out with a loud megas voice, phone. A loud megas phone, a loud megas phone, megas phone, megaphone. It's like they're holding a megaphone at their lips and they're crying from the bottom of their hearts, from the core of their being, shouts of praise to God. This is a celebration. They cry out with a loud voice and what do they say? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on His throne and to the Lamb. They're holding palm branches in their hands like those who put palm branches before Jesus crying, He who saves, He who saves, He who saves. They're standing where they have been standing in front of the face of God, in front of the face of Jesus. They hold something in their hands symbolic of saying, He who saves, He who saves, He who saves. And in their white garments they begin to cry as though they were shouting through a megaphone, Salvation to he who saves, he who saves, he who saves. That's why heaven is heaven. I get to be with God and I get to praise God for not his greatness, but for my salvation. I get to praise God for his allowing me to be in his presence. And then the third word that I find in this passage is the word adoration. Because this celebration was more than just an occasion of worship. Where we struggle to muster out the words and put them with the heart. And by the way, we got through that song service. And by the way, I'm glad the amen's over. No. This is a celebration from the very fiber of their emotions. For it goes on to say, they were saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around. I've read about this massive throne. You can't even number. And now, around all of them, you have all of the angels. I don't know how many that is. The book of Hebrews refers to the number of angels as without number. Nobody knows. But every single one of them are referenced in this passage. And all the angels were, what are they doing? Standing. And the verb gives you the same concept the same concept of they're standing where they've been standing. Nobody wants to go. None of the redeemed want to go as they're there in the presence of God celebrating their salvation. None of the angels want to go as they're there in the presence of God keeping company with the, with the redeemed. They're all standing around the throne. The others were before. They're standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures. We'll read about that a little bit later. And they, the angels, fell 
on their faces. In front of the face. Before the throne. And they proskuneo worshipped. Kuneo. Kiss. Pros. Before. Proskuneo. It's a word that gives the idea of emotionally blowing a kiss to God. Saying, Amen. Well, what else did they say? Amen. First word of their praise was Amen. The last word of their praise was Amen. And look what's between the two. Amen. Eulageo or Eulagia. Legia, Lagos, speaking. You well, speaking well, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving. Eucharistia, Eucharistia, Charis, grace, you well, good, grace well, grace well, thanksgiving. To extend feelings of mercy, love, and kindness to God in a very good fashion. Thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God. Well, how long? Forever. But that's not enough. Forever and ever. But that's not enough. Put an exclamation mark on it. The same exclamation mark with which you began. Amen. These are words of adoration. So you have a numberless crowd of the redeemed from all races, all backgrounds, all genders, all languages, and they are there to celebrate the presence of God and express their feelings of adoration to God in worship. That's what makes it so wonderful. But that's not all. I keep reading. And as I continue with verses 13 and following... I see there's another reason why heaven is so wonderful. It will, always, it will be a place where we are the center of His attention. But it will also be a place where we are the center of His attention. He's the center of our attention, but we will also be the center of His attention. And this will be a mutual love fest. Verse 13 then one of the elders, that would be one of the elders that is referenced around whom the, all of the angels stood. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. That would, of course, have been the tribulation that the church had to face in the days that Rome had levied its persecution against the church, which many believed to be during the time that Domitian was its emperor in the background of this particular writing. They've come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. White in the blood of the Lamb. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. That takes me all the way back to the fifth verse of the whole book. Chapter 1, verse 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at that. He, he freed us. He gave us the joy of forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins by His blood. Back to our text. These are the ones whose robes have been washed in the blood. I'm reading about those that have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's a bridge term. Back when we were at Freed Hardman, we would always say, now when you see the word therefore, that is a grammatical bridge. And it joins what's about to be read to what has just been read. Therefore, in keeping with who these people are, those who's, who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, who are standing in the presence of God and celebrating the salvation of God and giving them the adoration of their feelings, Therefore, now, as we read verses 15 through 17, the end of the chapter, if you're like me and you like to mark in your Bibles, underline or circle, the reference to these particular individuals with the pronouns they, them, their. See how many you find. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall, they, he will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And if I count... And my count is accurate from the English Standard Version. I will find those words, they, them, their, six times. So six times in the earlier verses, I read about God and the Lamb with everyone in their presence, celebrating their salvation, giving them the adoration of their hearts. And now I'm reading about all of the redeemed. And what comes to the redeemed from the one sitting on the throne, God, and from the Lamb. And the same three words might be contemplated. First, there is the word location. Look with me at verse 15. Therefore, they are in front of the face, before the face of the throne of God. And latruo, another word for worship, but this is the one that means not to blow a kiss, but rather to pay homage. They serve him day and night in 
his temple. Brother Dan, I didn't think there was a temple there. This is accommodative terminology. I'm reading about the house of God, the paradise of God, the city of God. The tabernacle of God, I'm reading about where God lives, and I get to live there with him. And as I am living there, and I'm in the presence of God, with God, and with the Lamb, and I am now paying my homage to them day and night in their presence, he who sits on the throne, that's God, will shelter them in his presence. Now the attention has shifted. Prior to this point, all the attention was focused toward the throne and toward the Lamb. And now everything shifts from the throne and from the Lamb. And now it's what everyone present is going to enjoy from the throne and from the land, Lamb, where we are the center of their attention. The one on the throne, Jehovah God, he will tabernacle. He will put a tent over or around. He will shelter them, not with the tabernacle of Moses' day, not with the temple that David planned and Solomon built and Herod rebuilt, not with a church building, He will shelter them with his very presence. I wonder if that's what's meant by the latter part of the last verse. He'll wipe away every tear. When I'm in the presence of God, the presence of anyone else or the want of the presence of anyone else becomes rather inconsequential. I am sheltered with his presence. His presence. His temple before his throne. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them down. Kind of reminds us of Revelation 21 as referenced earlier, doesn't it? Nor any scorching for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shelter. The Father, their shepherd. The Father will be our shelter, and the Lamb will be our shepherd. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he will guide them to springs of living water. He leadeth me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me to calm waters of rest. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Look at the celebration of those in the presence of God on the throne and the Lamb by his side. They don't have to hunger anymore. They don't have to be thirsty anymore. They don't have to worry about the sun scorching them anymore. And look at the adoration that you find in the words shelter and the word shepherd. No wonder it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
It reminds me of an older gospel preacher in the latter hours of his life. And a younger preacher that he had mentored for so many years was sitting by his side. Everyone knew that the man's last breath was imminent, although he was still cognizant. And so the young preacher leaned over and whispered so that the older man could hear. And he said, would you like for me to read the most beautiful verse in the Bible? And the older man who had given so much of himself to that young preacher said, oh yes, please. And so this younger preacher turned to John 14, you know the passage, and he began to read. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then the young preacher stopped. And the older gentleman said, Oh no, no, no. That's not the most beautiful passage in the Bible. The young man said, Well, what would it be then? The old man said, Keep reading. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I come again and will receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's why heaven is so wonderful. I get to be with God. And I get to be with Jesus. I want to bask in the glory of God Almighty. I want to sense the glory of His essence make its way through the core of my immortal being. I want to put my hand in the scarred hand of my Savior. And I want to take pause. And I want to get down on my knees at his feet. And then I want to look up. And I want to catch his eyes. And I want to say, thank you. I love you. And I don't know what he's going to say in response, but I think it'll be something like, I love you too. And I think you know me. That's what makes heaven so wonderful. You're going to get to go? Do you have this passionate thirst for being right with God via your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you constantly overcome the temptations of the devil saying no to yourself and yes to what God wants you to be and do? Are you among the saved as an individual who believes with a faith that accepts what God says, trusts in what God says, and does what God says, a faith that has moved you to repent of your past, confess your faith in Jesus, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you among the saved? And thus is your name written in the book of life as one enrolled in heaven with those in the assembly 
the ecclesia, the church of our Lord. Are you going to get to go? Well, don't you want to? I guarantee you, we can help you this afternoon. Right behind me, there is a body of water. It's a tank. It's called a baptistry. Why? Because that's where we baptize. Go figure. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, there would be places for you to change clothes on this side or on this side, depending on your gender. And this good church has provided clothing for you to change into. Your clothes won't even have to get wet. And they'll have a place for you to dry off. And if you wish, you can step into that area. Someone will accompany you and help you and then give you your privacy. And then an individual of your choosing can come down into the baptistry with you. And they will ask you the question, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And based on the fact that you do, they will briefly take you and place you all the way under the waters of the baptistry and then bring you up. And the blood of Jesus Christ at that very moment of your submission to baptism will wash away your sins. And figuratively, you will have a robe that has been washed white in the blood of Jesus. This church would ravel in being able to help you do just that. As a baptized penitent believer, have you lost your passion? You're just playing the game. You're just showing up. You're in a fuss because things aren't the way you want. I'm going out the back door and finding some other place. There's something wrong with your heart. That's not the passion for God. You're more eaten up with yourself than with Him. You're saying yes to you and not yes to God. Is there something wrong? Are you blessed with the knowledge of that's where I'm heading. And that's why I want to go. If that's not where you're heading and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you don't know. We need to help you. And we can as we stand together, as we sing.